0: Nietzsche is one of Christianity's best friends by virtue of the fact that he is utterly right. Without God, there is nothing.
1: Hey everybody and welcome to the Deep Dive, uh, a podcast where we engage in theological conversations to help you grow deeper in your faith. Now, typically, I am joined by my co-host, Colin Wallace, the always affable Colin Wallace, but he is not here today, and I'm actually very excited. We have a very special guest on the podcast who I'm pleased to introduce. He is the assistant uh, associate professor of theology at the Atlantic School of Theology here in Nova Scotia, and he is the author of a book, Nietzsche and Theology, Nietzsche's Thought, Nietzschean Thought in Christological Anthropology. He's also an expert in Catholic moral teaching and Christian apologetics, and he's Irish, so he's just always fun to listen to. Doctor David Dean. David, thank you so much for
0: being thank here. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I really appreciate the time to chat with you today.
1: I uh, I have to start by just congratulating you. You are the first guest ever to be on the Deep Dive, and so I think, as far as as uh, as far as career milestones go, I think it's safe to say you've made it.
0: This is a real this, highlight, this right? Is I mean, yeah. not to. I hope they told no, you in
1: the makeup chair beforehand, but this could reach
0: tens of views. To, uh, so
1: that is that is
0: wonderful. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm really impressed by your by your setup here. This that, is this yeah. Is, well, this we is you know we did what we could. We you don't what do what anything could. second rate, and that's good stuff. That's, so, that's the way to go. It,
1: before we before we dive into what we want to talk about today, I just want to say I hope you do come back in the future because there are so many. So many figures who we could talk about, who you're well-versed in, people like Aquinas and Augustine, I know we've chatted. You even have a video on YouTube about Karl Barth and his Christology that's actually quite good, and and so a number of people we could talk about. But I've asked you on today to talk about somebody who I think for most Christians, if they're aware of him, is somebody who really comes to us on the periphery. He comes to us certainly in a different shade, Uh, somebody who identifies himself with the Antichrist of all things. And so I want to talk today about why he might be useful for theology. Of course, I'm talking about the German philosopher, philologist Friedrich Nietzsche. So maybe a good place to begin here, David, is you've written a book on Nietzsche, First of all, maybe we could do a little bit of a bio for those who are, you know, who is the man behind the mustache, you know, as I like to say, and what a mustache, Uh, but maybe a little bit of a bio, and then just tell us what drew you to him as somebody uh, to engage with with Christian theology.
0: Right. Great, great. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, um, Friedrich Nietzsche was born in Rocken in Saxony in 1844. He was the son of a Lutheran pastor who died when Nietzsche was quite young. And Nietzsche was raised by his um, mother, Aunt and grandmother. Um, as a small boy, this is probably too much detail. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't. I won't go. You know, year by year through his bio, but basically, as a, he was a precocious um, young boy whose um, gifts were in the area of, of of religion, that was the only subject in school he really excelled in and um, he lost his faith as a as a student when he was training to be to be a pastor and um, went in the completely other direction he spent his life as a as a as an extremely talented uh, thinker who was often adopted and championed by leading figures within the German intellectual scene, um, not least people like the composer Richard Wagner, mm. um, who, um, alongside others, got in various positions that Nietzsche's own very precarious mental state led to him losing. And so, for most of his uh, for of, of his adult life, he was uh, an independent, indeed wandering scholar um, until 1888 when he. He had a, a very famous breakdown of sorts, and he spent the last twelve years of his life in something of a of a of a catatonic state mm. um, before dying in nineteen hundred. Um, his significant works are written um, mainly in in, in aphorisms, in, in in short, punchy critiques, and that makes him readable. It makes reading him quite entertaining, and um, and and in German, he is, his writing is really quite spectacular. And he has had a massive influence by virtue of the fact that he is that he is from my perspective the greatest deconstructive thinker in uh. in human history that he will identify flaws and problems and deconstruct perspectives like no one else and that probably along with the um along with the, the moustache um, represents <laughs> the reasons why his legacy endures to this day now of course the, to think about to speak about the, the Nietzsche's bio and again please just say shut up David you're boring people but <laughs> no I think it, the bio is important I like that. It, yeah. it, it, it's also important to speak about Nietzsche's afterlife mm. in that um his work is championed and edited in a very, very problematic vein by his sister, Elizabeth um, Sch- uh, Schussler Nietzsche, uh-huh. and Lisa um, Forster Nietzsche, and um, she, um, well, she reconciles him with nationalism and anti-Semitism and some other forces right. that made Nietzsche extremely attractive to German nationalistic forces, including the Nazis, national socialists. And and so Nietzsche's stock plummeted by virtue of the fact that he was the, the favoured philosopher of the Nazis. Mm. And so after the war, he went through a series of rehabilitations through um, very significant scholars like um, Walter Kaufmann and Arthur C. Danto, who really, I think, um, you know, teased Nietzsche apart from this from this Nazification mm. and um, and presented him for a, a new postmodern audience who embraced him in that wave of post that we associate in the latter third of the 20th century. And that's where I came in. <laughs>
1: I, I'm curious, actually, about that, if we could stay on it for a moment with right. the, uh, the 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 influence on Nazism yeah. that he's often been attached to. And has recent scholarship sort of separated from that or brought him back to it? As I know a lot of people who are Nietzschean disciples want to kind of refuse any association there and say that's not what he was really yeah. after. But when you begin to read Nietzsche's philosophy of the will to power and and the ubermensch, it does sound like it lays a groundwork that that Nazism could certainly get a hold of. And But is that largely a
0: misinterpretation of Nietzsche or is that
1: something to uh, associate with it?
0: The rehabilitation of Nietzsche in the 1950s, 60s, and seventies did whitewash him, mm-hmm. no, no question. That said, Nietzsche was no more anti-Semitic than he was anti-German, anti everything. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah. and he and hated all things equally. He hated all things <laughs> equally, and he was in no way um, nationalistic. Right. And so Important, he was he he, he he was not a Nazi. He was not a forerunner of Nazism. Despite that, if you read. <laughs> I'm not coming across well here, but if you were to read Mein Kampf, um, what you would see is that Hitler's primary driving logic is is a twisted form of Darwinism. Right. Um, th- that is really what, what what drives Hitler's thought. That a sort of that, a, a, and this is entirely in keeping with, with with Nietzsche. This idea that Christianity has, and this is to quote Nietzsche, preserved what's ripe for destruction. Mm. It's pr- it's protected. What he says is, are, are the bungled and the botched. It's a slave revolt, the revolt of the weak over and against the strong. Mm. And fascism, both in its in its in its ancient forms and in its modern forms, with um with, with Italian fascism and 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 German fascism with Hitler, it looks to reassert the 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 rights of the strong to be strong. Nietzsche famously says that an eagle is no more, or sorry, that the strong are no more culpable in dominating the weak than an eagle is in swooping down upon its prey, mm. and it's that logic that. That leads to Hitler seeing Nietzsche as a as a bedfellow based upon his his ultra Darwinistic, or at least his particular take on Darwin, his ultra Hitler's ultra Darwinistic view of the world. And so Nietzsche's is a philosophy of power. It is an ontology of power, and it suggests that the strongest should go to the top and the weakest should go to the wall. And when this happens, life is ascending. And Christianity is the arch enemy for Nietzsche because it resists and refuses that.
1: Yeah, let's, let's unpack that a little bit, because I think one of the things you were talking about, maybe the main thing that drew you toward Nietzsche is that he is the ultimate deconstructive philosopher. And we've talked a little bit actually on this podcast about deconstruction. It's very popular as a buzzword today in society. He takes Christianity sort of apart piece by piece and offers a number of challenges to us. One of them being this thing that I think you've just raised, which is the slave morality, the Slavon moral. Um, he is obviously very influenced by by Darwin and and that sort of evolutionary thinking. Uh, but how how does the slave morality really? Uh, how does that work? He he seems to think that Christianity undermines our natural base instincts. Yes. Is that is that sort of correct? I mean what what is he doing with the slave morality as a ultimate critique against
0: Christians? Nietzsche has this basic if you like pagan perspective that mm. that there is a thing called life, you know. And 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 life is for him will to power and nothing else besides and you yourself he says, or will to power and nothing else besides that there is a a a force in every organic thing which seeks to which seeks to express itself and become more and so he he had heard of darwin and he had read a little bit of darwin his understanding of darwin is 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 slightly problematic and he he offers critiques of darwin but the main scientific figure which influences him um is um a guy called Willem rue and Willem rue was an embryologist and nietzsche comes across him in the early 1880s and particularly after 1883 Nietzsche's um, Nietzsche's notes are just are just filled with this idea and what this idea is is for that that that, that Roux, you know this is long before the discovery of DNA mm. but he f- he felt that, that that there are just you know Billions of cells in our body, and each cell wants to become more. It wants to engage, struggle, and and and, uh, and and overcome alternative cells. And so the result is a human person whose hair color is determined by a struggle between brown-haired cells and black-haired cells, mm-hmm. um, a skin tone that's that's you know which, whichever cells become more and outpopulate the other cells win. And so the entire biological organism that we are is a result of this struggle at the cellular level so too with every flower every plant and because of this then each living thing does what it can and i quote not to survive but to become more and um he for him both darwin and schopenhauer believe that everything struggled to survive but for nietzsche it's not it's everything does what it can to become more Mm -hmm. and in christianity tries to put a stop to this Uh that life is ascending when the strong and so if you know if you I think of just natural science you know what would it what would happen if in a natural scientific study a herd decided no we need to preserve the least capable of passing on their dna mm. we need to protect the lame we need to protect the bandy legged we need to protect those whose teeth can't bite you know <laughs> right. and and not only that but declare them to be our leaders and indeed declare them to be our gods mm. well for him that herd would become weak decadent brutalized and damaged and that's the slave revolt that's what christianity is it's where the weak the bungled and the botched those who are those who are ripe for destruction as nietzsche says Take over um, by by virtue of the fact of asserting themselves as God, as the crucified one, mm. and then that and that, and and that this is what Christianity does, and so for him it is. The, the most sinister thing imaginable. And as um, you know and Hitler agrees hundred percent. It's something that sort of that you know scholars often overlook. But 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 from Hitler's dinner talks, which were all documented, we see Hitler calling Christianity the most evil invention in human history. And that's an idea that he he shares with Nietzsche because it because it, it and again I quote from Nietzsche's the Antichrist, it thwarts the law of evolution.
1: Right. It's somehow, he sees Christianity then somehow as messing up the natural order of things, making it and and making the weak strong is a major problem for him. Absolutely. So let's go back to this, because you said at the very beginning there was, for Nietzsche, the will to power becomes everything. It becomes sort of the basis for even understanding reality itself. And I was wondering if, I'm going to quote you actually from your book and see if, I just want to know if you can maybe break this down a little bit. You say... Nietzsche rejects all notions of truth in favor of a world of radical relativism. Mm. The word truth, then, can only refer to an illusion of stability, a fact, and as such to a sign, that is, a falsification. Or in Nietzsche's own words, he says, truths are illusions, we have forgotten our illusions. So what what does he mean by that? If there is radical relativism, there's no basis for anything, but obviously some of the things that he's saying... Uh, he, he believes in something. There is a truth behind these claims, is there not? What does he mean by that?
0: Yeah, so one of the the great things about Nietzsche is that he has no problem contradicting himself. <laughs> um, and and that's not a burden to him, as it would be for those of us in the mainstream mm. philosophical tradition. So, so ultimately what he means by that is he, he tells a story in various places of of early humans and and so think you know far back in evolutionary history, and you have, you know, half half ape, half you know half mm-hmm. what we would consider to be to be humans. And the world is in flux. Everything is dangerous. There are beasts everywhere. There are viruses. There are cold winds. Everything is is potentially dangerous, and we are simply subject to this to this to this natural order, which can kill us and overcome us. And then we develop for Nietzsche this, this great tool, this great, um, this great device, which is language. Mm. And what language does is, it's, is, it, is it superimposes stability on something. So let's say, for example, you have an apple here in your hand. Well, it's a dynamic entity that, that's, that, that's decomposing. We can't see it decomposing but there's all these you know there's all this you know electrical activity there's all this organic activity taking place and it's changing before our eyes and we can't live in this world of constant change this world of constant flux and so we create another world alongside it the metaphysical world true language by saying there is a thing called an apple which refers not to the organic but to the the abstract concept and through the use of these abstract con- um, concepts we can then have a world that's st- static and stable that we can begin to control and dominate mm. but it, it's already a falsification of the real because it superimposes stasis onto something which is in flux.
1: So these are all because that, that's very Platonic, right? You're using Plato's categories there of the forms. Yeah. So is Nietzsche the ultimate? Is he an anti-Platonist then in this regard? He thinks this whole use of language is just bunk. Well, we shouldn't be doing it's it. A,
0: it's a distortion. So um, mm-hmm. Plato, you know, can ultimately say that it's not a distortion because there is a. a, 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 a and and in itself, apple or a, or a right. form of the apple to which this concept ultimately refers. For Nietzsche, it's always a distortion, and so um, that's really what language is. That's what um, thought is. It's a it's an abstraction that misrepresents reality, that right. um that super in, superimposes stasis on reality, which allows us to work with it and and to an extent control it, control it. Mm-hmm. But it's always in a sense a, a falsification. Um, mathematics is, you know, is nothing more than a process of naming or a numbers game. Nietzsche will talk about science in this regard. Now, again, he doesn't use this exact example. But, you know, the, the way Nietzsche talks about science, let's take the science of aeronautics, that you have, um, You know, people will stand and they will try and get things off the ground, Mm. you know, and they will simply every time they do it, they'll name it and they'll write it down and try and document it. And then finally they can, you know, they can do it and then they document that. But for Nietzsche, then curiously, we posit a causal relationship where our naming of it is somehow causative of getting it off the ground when it's simply a naming and so too um two and two will always equal four because we have agreed that that is the case we've agreed to call this two and this two and this four but it's like saying but John plus Kevin to equals Kevin equals Andrew. Right. That it's yeah that it's uh, that it's just a process of naming, um, and uh, and it's and it's an abstraction. There is no such thing in 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 material ter- s- um, terms as as an actual two. It is simply a naming convention, and so for Nietzsche, this is this is what human civilization essentially is, and this is what the philosophical tradition essentially is. It's a falsification and an abstraction through the use of language which 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 leads to a metaphysics whereby as he says we take the real world off its hinges and decide to work in a, in a world that we can live with and so it's a it's a convenient falsification it's a it's a pragmatic falsification for Nietzsche
1: I have a I have another quote from me here actually regarding that and so when you're talking about metaphysics I think you know, metaphysics is another one of these loaded big terms. Yeah. that, But when we talk about metaphysics, we're talking about really the language about God, about the transcendent, the beyond, right? What, what involves that? Uh, you might want to break that down a little bit yeah. more, but you have this quote here where you say, uh, for Nietzsche, metaphysics is a fideistic refusal to face the wanton relativism of existence, a pathetic attempt to see truth beyond it. Pain inspires these conclusions. At bottom, they are wishes that such a world might exist. The hatred of a world that leads to suffering is likewise revealed by the fact that another and better world is imagined. The resentment of, metaf- of a metaphysician against reality is creative here.
0: Yeah, but that's, that's Nietzsche, I think, or at mm-hmm. least that, 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 that went into a quote from Nietzsche. It absolutely. Did, yeah. That's yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's exactly his take. But certainly while we will all think about metaphysics in terms of um, God or being itself. Mm-hmm. Um, Nietzsche also means the idea, the abstraction, cup, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is which is precisely <laughs> not any one particular embodied material cup. And Nietzsche says that we we will all that we can never escape metaphysics because we're trapped within what he calls the coils of grammar. Language itself forces us into a metaphysical into a metaphysical space.
1: So this breaks down. I mean, to really simplify his argument. All Christianity is just wishful thinking to him, right? I mean, in, in, to a degree, he's saying this is... I mean, it's the ultimate when you're debating an atheist and they go, you only yeah. believe this because it's a crutch and you lean on this because you're not strong enough to... I mean, that mm-hmm. is a Nietzsche-inspired
0: sort of argument, correct? It is, but the the really interesting thing about Nietzsche for me is that is that he... Deconstructs the deconstructions, right? And so, while, so what Nietzsche brings it back to, and, and and to be honest, while Nietzsche particularly early on delights in his in his bad boy image as as <laughs> yeah. a, as Antichrist, that's almost old hat because mm-hmm. because so much of nineteenth century German thought thought of Christianity in that in that way. Mm. What's interesting for Nietzsche is that there is no alternative. Everything else is simply one more is, 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 is the exact same. So for example, for Nietzsche, and this is, and and I'm probably getting ahead of, of, of where you want to go, and so we can we can come back to this more formally in a second, mm. but every moment is a moment of flux in which we cannot know anything. And ultimately every single action is a ruse of biological power so let's say you find um x more attractive than y well it's for you it's simply biological desire but ultimately for nietzsche it's a ruse of power that your body has been hardwired to to find things attractive or appealing which will enable you to ascend Mm -hmm. within your social order and so therefore you will um find you know so take for example apple you know, Apple worked alchemy in the in the '90s and beyond when it became associated with um, liberal, progressive, bourgeois, educated, right thinking worldview. And therefore, everything Apple does after that is attractive to people because that's what people want to be. They they, they don't right. want to be... Um, it's all power. Uh, it's it, all power. Exactly. It's, it's all, all power. Room. And there is no, and this is crucial, there is no right and wrong. And so what we call justice, what we call is it, it, simply you know, is simply a ruse of power within any particular space. And so right now, for example, um, TELUS and Bell and Walmart mm. and Amazon will march in gay pride parades. They didn't do it in the 80s. What's the difference? The difference is simple, that these were right. actions in the service of their as- ascent I- The uh, in, in, in 2022. They were not in the 80s and 90s. They don't know that, but that's, but that's what's at stake. And so ultimately for Nietzsche, there is, there is no right and wrong. That someone brutalizing or raping or dominating—that's—it's
1: it's all culturally conditioned. It's all. A sign that's of no the
0: different from someone drinking a cup of tea or or, or anything right. else. These are all simply ruses, ruses of power. And therefore, while your interlocutor in your in your example is saying, "Oh, Christianity is just you know mm-hmm. is just a, you know a weakness. It's a crutch," well, for Nietzsche. Every. It, everything is, yeah. what, it, what it requires is an Ubermensch to look at an act of pedophilia and an act of charity and say these are both just ruses of power. No good, no bad, no right, no wrong. This is just what, what life is. And that's why for Nietzsche, it takes an Ubermensch to say yes to this. Right. That the, that the Ubermensch is, is someone who can see life for what it is and say yes to it.
1: Now I so that's I mean that's very fascinating. I can see where it, I we got to talk about I think the fundamental misstep that Nietzsche makes. Then at least from a Christian perspective, where none of this this can't be correct. However, there is when you are explaining that and you talk about you know there's TD Bank and the Gay Pride Parade <laughs> or something like that, and that's culturally conditioned. There does seem to be some truth to what he's saying here. There is obviously. This sort of movement happening, but what is, where does Nietzsche really go wrong? Where is his fundamental misstep as far as Christian theology is concerned? I mean, there is it that he simply doesn't posit a right and a wrong; that he has no basic ontology that that is anything other than the will to power. I mean, where does he step off?
0: Nietzsche is one of Christianity's best friends by mm-hmm. virtue of the fact that he is. Utterly right. Without God, there is nothing. Right. That's what <laughs> Nietzsche knows. Nietzsche knows that that there, there are two possibilities. Either there is a good which is real, which is in itself outside of any human construction called good, or good is just a human construction. Right. So either... The idea that pedophilia is not good is a human construction, no more right or wrong than the idea that Tim Horton's coffee is good. Or there is a good in itself, a.k.a. God. Uh. Nietzsche is right to to know. And this is why one of the Nietzsche's most fascinating things is is his obsession with what he calls the English disease. (laughs) Now, what is the English disease for Nietzsche? The English disease is assuming that you can have Christian perspectives without God and Christ. And so that you can say, no, there is such a thing as good. But, you know, but, but right. there's no God. You just made it up. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. And this annoys Nietzsche. It rots Nietzsche. Nietzsche knows that everybody is faced, And this is what Christians have always, Christians know Nietzsche's is right. Mm. That you either have a notion of God, and therefore you can speak about good, you can speak about love, you can speak about all these things as if they're real. Or, or, or you don't have God, and therefore you can't. Mm. So Nietzsche calls BS on secularism, and Nietzsche, I think, demonstrates that nothing apart from God can make sense. And we Christians, I think, need to be saying, "Preach, brother!" You right. know, and yet, and yet,
1: he refuses God. Like, I mean, he in the end says, "And that is actually the reality."
0: That's exactly it. That's why. That's why I respect him and admire him. Bec- b- but that is a choice that he makes. Yes. That like that. ultimately the choice comes down to light or dark. Mm-hmm. The choice comes down to, um, be- you know, believing that there is a good, believing that there is God, believing that love is real, or believing that it's simply a play of biological forces. And he believes that he is the Ubermensch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that he is a hyperborean. He's the guy who can is, do it. He, yeah. he, he can face by it. By saying yes to this. And so he looks at every single aspect of organic life, be it love, justice, pedophilia, or genocide, and says, yes. Heavy. Well, heavy, for sure. But he's the guy who spends the last 12 years of his life in a catatonic studio. You're right. It goes insane. (laughs) You know, know? Um, and so and so he's. You know, early on, as a young firebrand, he's angry at Christianity, Mm. but everybody kind of else in German nineteenth century thought largely is too. What really angers him as he ages is everybody else. Um, (laughs) And 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 Nietzsche would, like, Nietzsche is no friend of modern Western liberal secularism. Um, Either you're doing the God thing, or you're lying, because he like, and 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 that's the thing he will admit that Christians can't ultimately know that they're BSing. But he looks at someone who isn't a Christian, and again, mm-hmm. or, or a theist, and says, you have to know on some level that you're BSing. And, so, and, and that's the problem. There's, the, the, yeah. there's a contradiction there.
1: So this is, I, this is definitely the area where we, we need to go, I think, when you talk about Nietzsche, because he is the quintessential death of God theologian. Absolutely. And... That, I mean, because, you know, the ruse of power, the death of God, all of these things have been talked about before. You can go back to Hegel, You could even go back to Jakob Burma and a whole other strand of tradition. But he really becomes the linchpin philosopher when it comes to the death of God, precisely, I think, because of what you've just said there. For Nietzsche, the death of God truly is the death of meaning. Yep and and so you have that when he writes in the in the gay science uh he writes about the death of god you know the madman crying oh, perhaps i have come too early yep. it is probably the most haunting and yet beautiful prose i've ever seen i mean who uh, uh, who will wipe the blood from our hands god yep. is dead and we have killed him yep. right we have unchained the sun contrast this now because i think here what this is what i find so fascinating about it is perhaps I love to get into conversations with
0: atheists.
1: (laughs) And when I do, I find myself, rather than trying to, let's say, give reasons why they should just convert on the spot and accept Jesus as Lord, um, I find myself more confronting them to have the courtesy of their own convictions. I say, why don't you be more like Nietzsche? If you're truly an atheist, and this is why, maybe you can talk to this, it seems like part of your book when it was written had a little bit of interest too in what were called the new atheists at the time, the sunshine atheists, as they are called, because they don't follow Nietzsche where he went, right? I mean, they go, no, you can be good and have morals and you can find beauty in art and all sorts of things and live a perfectly good life without God. Nietzsche craps
0: all over that. Yeah, absolutely. So what you said there, I think, is really important for anybody who is interested, in my mind, in apologetics, Mm. that... That the first move, you know, it's like an alcoholic. You know, you got to hit rock bottom before you can before you can make a move. And the deconstructive move, I think, is really really important yes. to try and to try and really test atheisms and push them to their logical conclusion. Um, and you have you have precedence in that. Ultimately, that's what Paul does. If you if you, if you look at Romans, um, he needs to make a deconstructive move vis-a-vis the law Mm, before he can say here's why jesus can save and so and 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 so that's the that's the important thing that um that that apologists you you know i didn't know anything about curling before i came to canada but they're like those those folks who do the who do the sweeping (laughs) the holy spirit's the rock (laughs) right all we can do is sweep is, is sweep the path and sweeping the path can be that deconstructive move the new atheists really make some really problematic moves richard dawkins for example will say that um you know his famous quote which again echoes for me nietzsche's quote the world is will to power nothing else besides and you yourself are will to power nothing else besides richard dawkins says dna neither cares nor knows it just is and and Mm. we all dance to its music and his basic idea is that we are simply in the same way that nietzsche will say we are constellations of wills to power for dawkins we are constellations of dna we are constellations of genetic Forces yeah, right. which have shaped this organism, and so everything we think, all our desire, is simply is simply the outworking of DNA, and this leads to an a notion that the world is ultimately competition. And so, let's take for example where Nietzsche and Dawkins would agree, and let's then migrate it into the ethical space, that Nietzsche and Dawkins would both agree that um, so so lions when lions become head of the the pride or whatever they you know. Think of the Lion King when they when they oust the previous the previous um, head lion. One of the things they do is that they go around and find the, the you know the progeny of this of that lion and kill all the cubs. And it's a very very tragic sight when you when you have a. David Attenborough narrating it when you see the lioness hiding the cubs in the long grass in vain as the lion comes around and kills them and this seems to be a terrible brutal and barbaric thing but Nietzsche and Richard Dawkins would both know that a sunflower growing you know higher than other sunflowers spreading out its petals and depriving the other sunflowers of, of, of sunlight is doing the exact same thing it's not only it's it, it's trying to kill genetically the you know the, right. the, the like like the yeah. descendants of its of of of, of its fighters, um, you know. So too our our strategy, if we decided to try and you know kill off through violence other people and their and their and their access to passing on their dna we're doing things that are no different than that when we want to drive a certain car live in a certain house dress a certain way look a certain way think the right thoughts speak the right you know the right words that's that's what we're doing ultimately what the universities do in in the 21st century universities teach Largely middle class people, how to pass as righteous um, yeah, by yeah. you know here's the here's the, mm-hmm. say, here's the phrases you can say here's the phrases you can't say here's the thoughts you should have here's the thoughts you don't have that you shouldn't have. It, it makes perfect sense for people to send children to universities so they can learn to be a righteous person as is understood in the twenty first century and find mates and mm-hmm. do all this. You know, so 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 like, so the point here is that the that the ethical theories and that our desires are no different than these base physical plays. That's what reality is. But then Dawkins says, in a famous, um, in, in, in 1976, in, when, he, when he wrote The Selfish Gene, he says, but we humans alone have the power to resist and refuse our selfish genes. Ah. And that's this strange idea, that we don't have to be enslaved. We can stand up against them and say, but no, we want this. And that's a contradiction. Now, a contradiction is Arrange. something that's tight and precise. This is a serious, significant charge against Dawkins because he has already said that every thought we have, every desire we have is already a ruse of selfish genes. So therefore this... Decision to say no to it is a ruse of selfish genes. So for example, what would that look like? Well, in Nazi Germany, that might look like um, you know, my selfish genes are making me be friendly to Jewish people because that's what gets a sense, but now I will say no and I will become anti Semitic because because that's what's right. But you think that's right because of your selfish genes. In 2022, it would be no, I'm going to be inclusive and diverse and I'm going to be equitable. That too is a ruse of your selfish genes. No, I'm not going to compete. I'm going to. I'm going to love and be inclusive. That's some savage competition, right? You're right. Because you're yeah. identifying the baddies in their trailer parks who will think these bad things, and you're going to outbreed these people and have these, you know, and and so on and so forth. And so it's a, it's a contradiction that Dawkins says that every thought is a ruse of selfish genes, and yet we can use this thought, which is a ruse of selfish genes, to overcome selfish genes. It's a bit like saying that a sort of, you know, that you that you cut a hole out of yourself with a knife, mm-hmm. and you just keep on cutting to try and cut the hole out of yourself, and just make it the <laughs> yeah. hole bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Dawkins makes a a very, very... Um, pragmatic failure at that point. Right. Dawkins can't go to the Ubermensch. He can't go full Nietzsche. <laughs> no, he <laughs> you know? can't go full board Nietzsche. And and if you do go full board Nietzsche, no one will ever say yes to you because it's it's unpalatable. Christians have got to encourage people going full board Nietzsche right. because it comes back to what Nietzsche says. Nietzsche's quote: "It's Dionysius versus the crucified." That's where we need to get people. This is good practical advice,
1: I think, for people in the church, especially when we are talking about, you know, speaking the gospel. And you mentioned Paul there. He takes that deconstructive move. I think in many ways, I think there was a serious misstep when we first encountered the new atheists to not... Press them on this very thing because I, there's a little bit of the enemy of my enemy as my friend going yep. on. I mean, I think Nietzsche would have despised new atheism in the oh, same way
0: Christians did. They would have they are the English disease. They, <laughs> they are, are. What, what, what Nietzsche identifies as that. Unquestionably. Unquestionably. Yeah. That's exactly you know, the move to make. That's why Richard Dawkins and many others, that they that they hate. What they call postmodernism, right. um, almost more than a religion, because they know that that's their kryptonite. They know that um, mm. that this completely undermines undermines their perspective. The new atheism, the new atheism, and and atheism of that sort is is not is not an evolutionary s- solid thing. It will die. Yeah, it's not very well it, thought out because yeah. b- b- because it's just it, it, it's so weak. Ultimately, the only true atheism is the atheism we have in Nietzsche, and that's where people people need to realize that this is this is the choice. And Kierkegaard, for you know, for all his his, his idiosyncrasies, he got that. You know, yeah. he like, he got that that that's that's what it comes down to. Um, for me, Nietzsche almost proves the doctrine of original sin. Um, he right. shows that, that he shows this is what the world is like if there is no God. This is what the world is like if we're abandoned to the flesh.
1: And, and is it correct to say? I mean, because Nietzsche does Nietzsche basically prove when we talk about new atheism and all that? I think we're talking mainly too about the kind of atheism that most people are carrying around if they claim to be atheists. Yeah. But it seems does Nietzsche prove though that atheism truly only leads to nihilism?
0: Yes, right, Un- unquestionably. But, but like it's 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 almost oxymoronical that mm. if there is no good outside of human construction. Then all good is a human construction, and that good is going to look like Nazi, is like like anti-Semitism in Nazi Germany. It'll look like rabid colonialist nationalism in Victorian England. It'll look like um, uh-huh. equity, diversity, inclusion, or whatever the you know the dominant ideology is today. And that these are e- either there is a good independent of that, mm-hmm. or these are simply. Ruses of cultural power that are that are no better or worse than each other, and we've got to we've got to realize that. Um, and Augustine realized that. Augustine said that you know, an, or, or an Aquinas later on. For Augustine, we will assume the morality of our context unless we are. We are gripped by Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, Aquinas will talk about as, as being like a sort of a boat on the on the waves, just being moved by the waves of the wind. That without that rope linking us to the to, like mooring us to the to the shore, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, we'll just be buffeted about on the winds. And so, um, so Nietzsche is, I think, a, a friend. And there is no, and this is the this, this is one of the crises of our age. That the modern project, which believed there could be a good, there could be a reason, there could be a justice without God, is false. And more and more people on some levels are realizing it. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Yeah, (laughs)
1: absolutely. I mean, that's just so rich. And I think, you know, this is where one of the... All this that we're talking about, one of the things that really stood out to me, I think, when I was first engaged with Nietzsche, was that he is saying that there is no such thing as an atheism that isn't a Christian atheism. It's a, This is the God we're kind of filtering through. Right? Yeah. Do you want to say anything more about that? I mean, we're, he, for him, we've undergone 2,000 years of Christianization in the West— the only way we walk out on the other side is if we go through christianity correct i mean there's this sort of sense in which his atheism is a christian atheism
0: yeah the, the 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 notion of god in his head is well what he sees it as being platonic christian kantian and it's you know it's part of this western tradition of which christianity is the you know is the most vibrant expression but he knows ultimately you know deep down what atheism will lead to and he believes that it requires an ubermensch to say yes to it it's the cheap grace lazy sloppy intellectually pallid atheism that is the that is the default in our society Mm. which would nauseate nietzsche and should nauseate us um you know christians i think have got to be more on the front foot in in offering deconstructions as St. Paul did, as the early church apologists did, they all make an apost- a, a deconstructive move. Um, you know, Chalcedon is, 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 is deconstructed. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. Um, you know, that's, early you church know, ha- are... how do we know, how do we know what Pelagius and others thought? Well, because people like Augustine, when, you know, debating Pelagius, detail them in order to deconstruct them and you know before you can before you can before you can see so let's take for example you know one of the problems that we have today is we have the idea that our society can lead to the good without God and this imagines that the person can do the good without God mm. and this I think is palpably false that certainly when it is advantageous to oneself one can do you know one can do what's considered to be charity but ultimately if we are doing it out of selfishness then, then selfishness that, that is you know the desire to get ahead the desire to be thought well of the desire to feel good about oneself that ultimately when push comes to shove that will shape how you how you respond to it there's a dude you know we've got these shelters and um and anybody who's worked with people in need w- will know this. And so people, I'm sure, you know, Christians tend to work with people in need. And you know that the people in need are not, if they're, if, they, if they're struggling with addiction, if they're struggling with psychiatric issues, that they're often really hard work. That it's not yep. easy. It's not easy to love someone who is a narcissist, who is an egotist, who despises you, who's, who, who, who's a physical and psychological threat to you. It requires the transformation that comes through the Holy Spirit, mm. that, that, that ultimately, if this body, this body was without the Holy Spirit entirely... It would be exactly as Nietzsche and Richard Dawkins described. There would be nothing else. And I would simply be an agent and an instrument of power and violence Mm. and, and, and the rest of it. But for Christians, the Holy Spirit can permeate this body and lead to a different kind of thing life according to the Spirit. And this is, Paul says, the only hope. Paul has got to bring people to say the law cannot save you. Nothing can save you except relationship with jesus christ because when the spirit of he who raised christ jesus and the dead dwells in your mortal body then you shall have eternal life that's that's where christians can use nietzsche and love nietzsche and embrace nietzsche to help people see that
1: mm.
0: and that's and, and nietzsche knows that but he doesn't think it's possible right you know because he can't make that he can't make that move of faith he can't make that leap of faith he can't accept but that's but that's the choice that the seven billion people on the planet have. I think you know, yeah. or eight billion, whoever many we are, that that logically it comes down to that. And that's why. That's what I saw as a, as a you know as a student, particularly as a graduate student, that that this is what it comes down to. That of all the ideas and all the theories and all the perspectives that I encountered, Nietzsche's right. It's either we are this ruse of selfish genes, or the body can be permeated by the Holy Spirit, such that we can. Come to know the good, love the good, and be different kinds of thing. Either you choose darkness, or you choose light. Either you choose nihilism, or you choose hope. That's that's ultimately what it comes down to. And logically, using nothing, using no faith or anything, logically we should be able to get people to see that. Amen. You know.
1: <laughs> Amen. I think that's just that's so rich, and I think you've you've managed to give us something really um, really important to look at in terms of. How how I think we as Christians, when, when evangelizing, when spreading the gospel, really need to understand the culture that we're in and what people think in general before we uh, sort of approach them with an alternative, okay. being able to tear it down. But you, I think, have demonstrated today just how uh, worth our time somebody like Nietzsche is as obviously a genius mind, yep. you know, uh, who was able to kind of pick out these things and show that really... Uh, we are kind of between just an alternative of it's either God or it is meaninglessness. Yeah. And that strikes some of us as obvious and some not so much. So I think incredibly important. I'm so happy that you came on. Please do come back in I the future and we will chat some other church fathers or something like love that. that. But, but would David, love that. Thanks thank so you so, so much. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you.
0: Thank you. Cheers.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of The Deep Dive. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to stay engaged with what we're doing, you can hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube, or you can subscribe or follow wherever you download your podcasts. When you like and subscribe, you support the ministry here at Deepwater Church, and we are truly thankful for that. Now, hitting the subscribe button will not earn you your salvation, but it will keep Colin from crying. We'll see you next week on The Deep Dive.